Good morning, everyone. I'm Andrew Cameron, the host of Monopolies Killed My Hometown. And again, in this podcast, I'm exploring how our decision to change the competition laws in the 1980s has led to an increased rate of consolidation and monopolization of businesses and industries. And I'm looking at the impact that that has had on small towns, small businesses, and people by looking at the changes I've seen in my hometown, Amherst, Nova Scotia, from when I left after high school until when I moved back with my family. Because for me, when small towns are governed by corporations and large businesses that are headquartered elsewhere, small towns, small parts of the country can feel left behind, they can feel less of an opportunity, and with that we can start to lose hope for the future. And I want our small towns to have control over their lives again, and agency, and basically hope and excitement for the future and future opportunities for themselves. This episode's uh, also, again, a little bit different. I'm one of the co-founders of an organization called the Canadian Anti-Monopoly Project, myself, Robin Chabon, and Keldon Bester. You can find us online at antimonopoly.ca. You can also find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. We had our launch event on August 11th. Uh, We had a, a webinar like a panel discussion with the three of us, as well as Barry Lynn from the Open Markets Institute from the U.S. and Stacy Mitchell from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And we are very gracious that they came and spent the hour with us and are so supportive of the launch of our initiative. So for this episode today on the podcast, I'm going to replay that webinar. Uh, the audio only, You can, if you want the video, you can find it online on YouTube. I'll put the link below. But this is just the audio, so you can get an understanding of our goals and what we're hoping to accomplish with camp, as well as hear everything that Stacy and Barry have learned in their time in running their organizations and as being part of the anti-monopoly movement. So I hope you enjoy this. As always, if you are enjoying the podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or where you are listening to your podcast, that helps more people find us and gets the word out much more. So please enjoy our launch event for CAMP, the Canadian Anti-Monopoly Project. Well, welcome everyone um, to our first ever event put on by the Canadian Anti-Monopoly Project, or as we like to call it, CAMP. Uh, We're really happy to have you here with us today to celebrate the launch of this new organization. And uh, today we're going to be having a conversation to talk about the role of an anti-monopoly perspective in ensuring democratic control of our economy and a fair distribution of economic prosperity in our society. Um, If you don't know me, uh, my name is Robin Chaban, and I'm a co-founder of CAMP, along with Keldon Bester and Andrew Cameron, who are also here with us today. For today's conversation, we're joined by uh, two of the leading lights of the global anti-monopoly conversation, and uh, we're really thrilled to have them here with us today. Uh, Barry Lynn is the executive director of the Open Markets Institute and is a pioneer of our understanding of how the monopolies of the 21st century threaten our democracy, uh, individual liberties, security, and prosperity. His work on anti-monopoly law and thinking for the digital era has been fully embraced by the Biden administration and has shaped the thinking of policymakers and scholars around the globe. Stacey Mitchell uh, is the co-executive director of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance and has produced pivotal research and reporting on the policies driving the decline of small businesses and the economic and political consequences of monopoly power. In 2022, uh, political strategy firm Barron named her an antitrust super influencer for her role in shaping the policy debate. The organization she co-leads, ILF, 
SR, has been a pioneering leader in the growing anti-monopoly movement and has a long track record of working alongside grassroots groups to develop better alternatives. So before we launch into our panel conversation today, uh, I'd like to just take some time to talk about CAMP. Uh, CAMP is a think tank, and we're dedicated to addressing the structural issues caused by monopoly power in Canada. Massive concentrations of wealth and economic power held by private interests like individuals, families, or corporations are fundamentally inconsistent with a liberal democratic society. When a handful of monopolists have the power to influence prices we pay for goods and services, our ability to start and grow businesses, the amount that we get paid for our labor, and even the decisions that our governments make through lobbying, it undermines the fairness of our economy and the validity of our democracy. The genesis for CAMP came out of a need to not only talk about these issues, but also develop solutions to address them. Our vision for CAMP and our vision at CAMP is to have a society where everyone, regardless of the wealth or privilege that they were born into, can participate in the economy on fair terms. We envision an economy where everyone, entrepreneurs, businesses, workers, and consumers can participate in the economy without fear of exclusion, coercion, or exploitation. We want an economy where everyone has the ability to support themselves, meet their material needs, and have control over their own lives and communities. If we don't take action now to curb monopolies and their power in our society, we may miss our chance to put Canada on a trajectory to a fair and prosperous future for everyone. Now I'm going to turn things over to Keldon, and he's going to talk more about what CAMP does and our current initiatives. And once Keldon is done, uh, he's going to pass things on to Andrew, who's going to be leading the conversation with Stacey and Barry. So, Keldon, to you. Thanks so much, Robin. Um, so as an organization, I think CAMP has three real objectives. You know, the first is to conduct research that unpacks um, the impact of monopoly on Canadians and provide meaningful solutions to those problems. You know, the second is to build a community of researchers, activists and advocates, kind of a home for anti-monopoly thinking and, and for people who, who really want to improve the fairness of our economy. And finally, it's to develop a robust organization that can, you know, participate in this fight over over the long term. Because you know, there's energy now, but it, but it really is a, is a long term uh, fight. And, and Barry and Stacy have been working on this for a long time, and 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 are a testament to that to the long term nature of the work that needs to be done. You know, we're already doing some of this work. We have numerous media appearances and op eds talking about the relationship between monopoly and inflation. Uh, the ongoing Rogers Shaw merger, and uh, you know, raising awareness around the weakness of our current laws. But you know, Robin in particular has also appeared before Parliament numerous times, more times than the past three commissioners of competition combined, actually, um, discussing these same uh, topics as well as uh, the role of small and medium-sized enterprises and the comp role of competition in Canada's economy. We're also starting to build a coalition of organizations. Um, that are you know, passionate about creating a fair economy, both through regular outreach and our recurring uh, competition policy discussion group for Canadian policy analysts. Uh, but I would like to, to, to note that CAMP is just one piece of this conversation and, and the work of our call, other colleagues, such as Vast Bednar and McMaster has really been uh, instrumental in building up this competition conversation uh, in Canada. So it's a, it's, a, it's a group project, of course. Um, and, and that uh, has led today uh, in a situation where it appears that the government is uh, interested in opening up a consultation on Canada's competition law, the Competition Act. And so that's really the biggest next milestone in terms of anti, the anti-monopoly fight in Canada is, is this consultation. And, and it's an exciting opportunity, but the real danger is that this consultation is dominated by status quo voices uh, that, that have a financial interest in maintaining a, a weak set of laws uh, that, that focus on concentrating power as opposed to protecting people from monopoly. So, you know, in the short term, CAMP has two big goals. First, it's to articulate the CAMP vision of where these laws need to go for a more democratic and fair economy. 
But secondly, and, and more importantly, is to support organizations and individuals that are that need to be in this conversation, but that are typically left out. So if you're part of an organization or know an organization that uh, you feel should be participating and having their voice heard in a discussion of the Competition Act, um, really reach out to us because we, we want to we want to offer that support. And to make all this happen, you know, we, we ask for your help in affecting this kind of change. And, and that can come in big and small ways. You know, if you haven't already, please follow us on social media and join our newsletter at antimonopoly.ca. Um, you know, any kind of support is meaningful. There's, you know, of course, financial donations, but, you know, time and expertise to support this work, whether that's research, communications, even the governance of the organization. You know, that's really important to us as well. So if you are interested in getting involved, uh, don't hesitate to reach out and, and we'd, we'd love to chat with you. Uh, but you know, enough about camp. I think there's a more exciting conversation to, to happen today. So I'm gonna pass it over to, uh, to Andrew and our, and our guests uh, to, to lead the discussion. Perfect. Thank you very much, Robin and Kelvin. Uh, I'm, like both of you said, I'm very excited and happy to be here at this point. Uh, I know I sort of joined the this fight in Canada sort of later than Robin and Keldon and like I said, everybody else that's been pushing this fight forward, but I'm glad to be part of this. I'm glad for us to get started and move this organization ahead. Uh, quick two-line summary of who I am. Uh, I live in Amherst, Nova Scotia. I'm a you know, small business owner. I come from a family of small business owners. Uh, and that's kind of how I got into this discussion. Um, and I feel like sometimes my role is to translate sort of the detailed policy discussion around competition into sort of simple like day-to-day -day life terms. So I started hosting a podcast called uh, Monopolies Killed My Hometown to explore that sort of relationship. So that's a quick uh, rundown of who I am. I want to get to Barry and Stacy, and we're going to open it up. Uh, I think both Barry and Stacy have a few opening remarks they kind of want to share us with to tell us more about them and their history and what they've worked on and what they've accomplished. So we'll pass it to Barry if you want to unmute yourself and get started. That would be excellent. Well, thank you all. And um, you know, Keldon and, and Robin and Andrew, it's really great to have you as part of this movement. And uh, it's great to see Stacy and be with Stacy at this event. Um, you know, it's really exciting to have sort of Canada back at the table on this issue. Uh, you know, Canada is uh, has played an enormously important role in establishing the the structures of the modern democratic, you know, of modern liberal democracy. You know, after the Second World War, you know, Canada was a, a founding member of the G7. And was uh, you know uh, an important played a hugely important role in sort of establishing the um, you know democracy, reestablishing democracy, and and uh, sort of a functioning political economy in Europe after the war. So um, it's uh, you know sometimes um, you know I think Canadians forget how important their role has been and the and the power that they can actually bring to bear. Um, you know, I just want to, there's one other thing. I, I really love the word camp, the name camp. You know, it's really this, uh, you know, anti-monopoly is really all about, it's about home. It's about family. It's just about, you know, uh, people being people together. You know, that's that's what, you know, anti-monopoly is to get the intermediaries out of our life. It's about getting people, you know, uh, uh, around the same campfire in, in, in a way, uh, you know. And uh, one little note, I'm just thrilled that we're here with, um, uh with with Keldon, you know, because Keldon was somebody who uh, was a uh, an intern here at, at uh, Open Markets uh, a few years back and in 2018, uh, Keldon actually played a huge role in, in putting together this um, the uh, uh, an amicus brief that we wrote on AT and T uh, time uh, the appeal of the AT and T Time Warner. Uh, a case that had been brought by the antitrust, um, the, the Department of Justice uh, to try and block that merger. Um, one thing is the, the appeal did not work, uh, but the court did actually mention that uh, they did uh, sort of refer to our, uh, our document. And they said, you know, had, had the DOJ made that argument, we might actually uh, 
uh, held for you. So uh, uh, it's it's really great to be here with Keldon. Uh, so real quick, you know, it's like, what is, I'm just going to make a couple points. You know, what is anti-monopoly? You know, anti-monopoly is democracy. Anti-monopoly is individual liberty. Anti-monopoly is opportunity. It's responsibility. It's actually creating a space where you can be responsible. It's creating the opportunity to be responsible, to play a role in, in building a better society and building a better world. You know, uh, people tend to look at, you know, antitrust, anti-monopoly is something that's very technical. You know, it's really uh, anti-monopoly is, you know, philosophically, it's just, it's the coding that we use uh, to regulate competition within our society among people you know, and groups of people to ensure that competition is constructive rather than destructive, to ensure that uh, uh, competition promotes better democracy and doesn't destroy democracy, that competition is structured to promote individual liberty and opportunity. So, um, you know, this is, you know, competition policy is the, it's the coding that we use to build a better society, to structure a better society. You know, and institutionally, it's just, it's, it's what the entire state does. And, you know, this actually is a, it's an important point because it, it gets at, you know, how did we get into this problem that we have today, which is monopolies everywhere, all around the world. And, um, and, and that was, you know, what happened is, you know, for 200 years in the United States, and, you know, we had anti-monopoly, we had a, a very effective anti-monopoly regime. And it, uh, you know, it, had, it was foundational to our democracy, it was foundational to our national power, it was foundational to our ability to sort of overcome the great challenges uh, that were internal in, in the sense of the, the, the plutocrats and, you know, the Gilded Age, but also external to, you know, be able to concentrate the power we needed to overcome the, you know, not the threat of Nazism in Europe. Um, and, uh, you know, it, and then what happened is that, uh, you know, 40 years ago, uh, these group, the neoliberals came along and they said, Hey, let's, you know, get rid of this uh, policy that we've been using to such amazing effect, to make ourselves free, to make the world free. And, and said, well, you know, let's actually change this policy so that the point of it is to make ourselves more materially wealthy. And they said, rather than aiming at preserving democracy, we're gonna aim at preserving or promoting efficiency. And so they radically changed the purpose of anti-monopoly from democracy to efficiency. Uh, and then they sort of brought in a whole group of people to judge how, you know, how we do this. And that was the economist. So we, we're going to get rid of regular people. We're going to get rid of jury of your peers. We're going to get rid of all the traditional ways that we pursue democracy here and in other countries. And we're going to replace the, uh, our, ourselves as judges of what is a danger to our, our democracy with a bunch of economists. And they're going to be the judges of what is a danger. Uh, and uh, so, uh, and then what we're also going to do is we're going to shrink all this this policy down into a couple little boxes. What the DOJ does, what the uh, what the FTC does, whereas traditionally, competition policy is what the entire state does. It's what the government does. We use every part of our state to make ourselves free, to make our uh, to make our democracy strong, to make our nation secure to help other nations, you know, our allies, our friends, you know, uh, uh, seek, you know, uh, 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 more perfect democracies. Um, and um, so that's what, you know, uh, so what they, the neoliberals did is they overturned that with just the silliest, if you go back and look at it, it's just the silliest, stupidest set of arguments. And we fell for it. And now we wake up and we look around and the entire world is filled with monopolies that threaten not just our pocketbook, but our democracy. We, they, we got monopolies that are in our heads. They're telling us how to think. They're manipulating how we talk to one another. It is, you know, it, this is the most dangerous threat to our lives today. Every single harm that we face in our world today, at some point in that harm, in the creation of that harm, there is a monopolist down that chain. They may be the main source of the problem or they are taking that problem and making it worse. So this is every single harm that we want to deal with, whether it's climate, whether it's, it's, it's um, uh, you know, health care, uh, whether it, it's, you know, peace, uh, you know, sort of the, uh, 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 you know, eliminating this, this, this 
conflict that's coming with China. The problem in every single case is monopolization. And sort of eliminating monopoly is going to help us get to the root cause and, and, and make the world a safer and happier and healthier and more sustainable place. So open markets, what do we do? You know, it's like uh, we're a bunch of lawyers. Uh, we have journalists. I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist for a long time. Uh, and we're journalists and we're lawyers and researchers. And what we do is we shine a light on these problems as journalists, as lawyers, we tell a story, we insert, we remind people, we, we, we focus on the problem and then we bring in some analysis so that people understand uh, the, the history of how we dealt with this in the past. Uh, so we know that there are solutions, that there are common sense solutions that we've used in the past to the problems of today, uh, that the principles of the past are, are useful in dealing with the problems of today. Uh, and, uh, and then we, um, we, we push this analysis out you know, we do, we push this analysis out, you know, through grassroots activism, through uh, in direct engagement with policymakers, direct engagement with, uh, 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 with the regulators. Uh, and, you know, we've had a lot of success at this and, uh, but we have a huge way to go as, as Keldon was, was, uh, was noting like this is just the beginning of the process. And, uh, but, uh, you know, just so we are clear about this, it's like we we have, uh, even though we have a long ways to go, we are winning and we will win. And uh, so anyway, uh, again, it's it's really terrific to see you all. And, and one last thing is I just want to note that, uh, you know, there's a, a growing number of groups around the world that are sort of focusing on this. There's you know, the uh, Balanced Economy Project uh, that's uh, based in, in the UK. There's a new group that's being, fostered by lobby control in, in Germany. And uh, we, you know, there's other groups that are sort of starting to form in South Africa and Brazil. So um, this is truly an international uh, uh, movement and uh, it's great to have you guys. Thank you very much, Barry. Uh, appreciate all the words. I think it's, I would say it's, I think it's a good thing we're recording this. There is a lot in even the 10 minutes or so that you're speaking, I think, so it'll be good. People can go back and listen again and hear some more. I think one thing that I really took away from that is I think as Canadians, we kind of forget, we'll say how much we can actually kind of do and bring to the world and bring to these discussions. Um, Robin or Keldon or even Barry or Stacey may remember more of the dates, but I think one of the things I learned originally is I think Canada actually passed the first like official competition laws, like the sort of modern competition laws in 1890-something. Um, so maybe I'll still try to take credit for that. But anyways, thank you, Barry. Uh, we'll, we'll hop over to Stacy now, um, just for Stacy to offer a few opening thoughts and opening remarks. Well, thank you so much. It's really, uh, it's really terrific to be here. And I've, I've enjoyed getting to know Keldon and Robin and Andrew. Um, Andrew and I are a little bit neighbors. I'm in Maine. Um, and so feel we feel a lot of uh, connection in this part of the world with with Nova Scotia and with the uh, you know, the eastern part of Canada. And so it's really nice to be uh, to be here. And I'm so excited about this launch uh, and just to see the way that this movement is growing. Um, both uh, uh, in, in the US and across the world and in Canada. And so this is great and always lovely uh, to, and sort of an honor to be speaking alongside Barry. Um, I, you know, I wanted to, I guess, just start uh, in, in some ways building a little on, on what Barry said and just talking about what anti-monopoly is. And it's really in some sense, another way of talking about what democracy is. You know, we understand that if you're going to set up a system of organizing your society that safeguards liberty, um, that ensures that we all collectively have the ability to decide how our community, how our communities, how our nation is going to operate, then you then you inherently need to have mechanisms that prevent the tyrannical accumulation and exercise of power. And we understand this in the context of having checks and balances on different branches of government. Um, so that no particular branch of government or between the national government and the provinces, for example, that there's always a check and balance that nobody can accumulate so much power and begin to exercise it in tyrannical ways. And that's essential to how you set up a democracy. And similarly, it's essential that you also have mechanisms for checking private power. 
that the accumulation of private power is just as dangerous, if not more so uh, to a democracy. And so inherent in how you design your society, you need to have anti-monopoly in order to have a democracy. And that's, you know, as a broad idea that goes back, um, you know, well, in this part of the world, uh, in, the, in sort of Eastern uh, North America, it goes back a really, really long ways, long before Europeans were here. Um, you know, the peoples who inhabited, uh, you know, th this region of the world had very well developed political mechanisms to safeguard liberty, to ensure that, you know, no one was subject to the co coercive power of another. Um, and those ideas very much influenced the European Enlightenment and then of course led to uh, North American democracy. Um, but as old as those ideas are, as Barry noted, they've really been utterly buried and, and lost in a lot of ways uh, in the frameworks that we've been uh, operating in for 40 years now. Um, you know, we've very much uh, take, taken those ideas and submerged them in, in a very dangerous uh, ideology that um, basically says that how power, economic power is distributed, who has it, um, uh, you know, how, uh, uh, how it functions is not a political question. It's somehow not a political question. It somehow has nothing to do with what it means to be a free and self-governing people. Um, and, it, you know, the, the, we, we've been trained to sort of see the economy as being like the weather, that it just kind of operates out there and, and government can, can sort of interfere in it. But, but otherwise, it's just, you know, it operates of its own accord. And this is, this of course, is utterly ridiculous. Um, markets are always and everywhere structured by rules. And the question is, who decides what those rules are and what ends do they serve? And so this is really, you know, the, the kind of thinking that we've been living with for a long time is a, is a very much, a, the, you know, that there, that there aren't any rules uh, and that we should look at them is a, is a tall tale told by the powerful in order to be able to rig those rules to their own advantage and, and rig them they have, you know, not only have they destroyed our antitrust and competition policies, not only have they accumulated incredible amounts of power in Wall Street banks uh, and, 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 and consolidated control over our economic resources and our capital, rigged the tax system, you know, such that, you know, here in the U.S. anyway, Amazon pays an effective uh, tax rate that is well below what the neighborhood store at the end of your street pays. I mean, on and on and on, uh, all in the service of accumulating power and wealth. And of course, today we find that our liberty has been curtailed um, by monopoly power in so many ways, whether it's, you know, the ability to direct what our government does, uh, to participate in fair markets, to live in communities that have the capacity um, and the means to direct their own future. Um, so my organization, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, ILSR, we were founded in 1974 um, with this idea that uh, democracy is healthiest when you disperse power, when you disperse economic power widely, and that really democracy, the foundation of democracy, um, is very much at the local level. It's in the ability of people to um, get together with their neighbors and have the sort of capacity and ability to uh, decide how to organize themselves to meet their needs. That that is the really, you know, the building blocks for democracy all the way up is at that very uh, local and grassroots and community level. And these are the ideas that um, the folks who founded my organization in 1974, you know, came to it with. Um, but, you know, at a time, of course, when when that kind of thinking um, was in, in the in the in the, in the uh, at best considered to be quaint and at worst considered to be uh, stupid and misguided. And so um, for the early decades of ILSR's existence, we didn't have a lot of traction uh, at the federal level and not a whole lot of um, sort of allies and uh, opportunities to work there. And so uh, for, for many decades, we, um, we very much worked at the local level because that's where we could find allies and traction for these ideas. Um, so we've, you know, uh, over the decades have done uh, a lot to, um, you know, to, to challenge concentrated corporate power at the local level and have found, you know, that that kind of dominant ideology uh, of bigness really isn't operational at the local level because uh, it, you, people are actually having to deal with the rubber meets the road. They're having to deal with the consequences of concentrated corporate power and they um, are, you know, are trying to find ways to, to address it. So we've worked with uh, communities across the country to defeat incinerators, uh, which were a tool by 
uh, powerful waste companies to gain control over the waste system. Uh, instead, we helped communities build recycling and composting based systems that decentralized that power, made that power local. Um, we've helped literally hundreds of communities build publicly owned broadband networks. Uh, we've defeated a lot of uh, absentee corporations from coming in uh, like Walmart and helped communities strengthen local businesses, done a lot of work around community banks and so on. And have done this work in big cities and, and little towns uh, and in liberal and conservative places. I guess, um, you know, just to, to, you know, sort of wrap up, I, I would say that there are really kind of a, maybe three kind of critical things that we've learned from that that might be uh, from those many years of work that might be um, useful as you're, as you're thinking about setting up camp and, and the work that you do. Um, and of course, now, you know, over the last six or seven years, we've been able to do a lot of national and federal work, um, you know, thanks uh, to the conversation that really, I think, Barry's been incredibly instrumental in, in opening up and driving uh, at the federal level around, around antitrust policy. Um, but the, 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 uh, to just share, like, I think, three, three kind of key things that we've learned in doing that work. One is that concentrated power has huge impacts on the ground, um, and that you know, it can be easy to talk about monopoly sort of up here and, you know, who controls what industries and that sort of thing. But really the the the, the power of, of, of the message, I, I think, lies in, in talking about how it actually functions at the ground level. We know that it is a primary driver of wage stagnation and inequality. Uh, we know that uh, concentrated economic power has killed countless small and mid-sized businesses and left communities really bereft of economic opportunity. Um, it's led to these incredible regional disparities uh, across the US, whole regions that have been left behind and excluded because their businesses have been swallowed up or pushed out of the market. Um, and now uh, they're, they're controlled by companies that are headquartered in Seattle or uh, New York or what have you. Um, we know, I guess, too, that that at the grassroots level, uh, sort of the second thing is that at the grassroots level, everyone is an anti-monopolist, or I should say, just about everyone. They may not know this language, um, but everyone has a problem with corporate power controlling their community and their lives. Um, and and there are lots of people across Canada and across the U.S. that are fighting monopoly power in one way or another. They may not conceptualize it that way. It may be about the big utility that's preventing them from uh, connecting their, their own community solar to the grid. It may be a fight about what's happening on Main Street and, and businesses being wiped out by big retailers. It may be the, be the fact that the big bank in your town won't give you a loan for a productive investment. I mean, all of these fights really at their root are about the same thing. They're about concentrated monopoly power. And part of the opportunity that you have is to frame those things as being connected and being about the same thing and helping people see those fights together. And then lastly, um, the thing we've really learned is that economies of scale is, uh, that idea is bogus. Uh, as Barry said, you know, we've all been enthralled to these, uh, you know, misguided economic theories that have been a kind of pseudoscience that has run our policy for way too long and have led us to blindly believe that small is inherently inefficient um, and uh, outdated and so on, and that big is, is better and the way to go. And we, through our research, um, have, have demonstrated that that's not true, that community banks are lower cost and deliver more productive capital than big banks do, that independent pharmacies provide better healthcare and lower prescription drug prices than the big chains do, um, that distributed retail is a better way to organize uh, production and distribution, that the lowest cost and fastest broadband networks are small and locally owned. And I could go on and on. The reason that those small scale entities are disappearing is not because they can't compete. It's because the big guys have rigged the rules to amass power. Uh, and with that, I will turn it back over to you. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you once again, Stacey. I'll, I'll say the same thing again. I'm glad we're recording this. Uh, I think you can go back and listen to what you had to say many times and pick something else new out of all of it. I was, I was going to throw in the one that baffles me on the talking about small versus big is when conversations about big businesses being the most innovative. And I'm just like, it's always been historically, if you want something innovative, you always go to like the small company. But somehow we started thinking that we should just get the biggest companies to innovate and make things new. It, anyways, that's one that kind of baffled me. But I think, Stacey, you talked a lot about 
things that resonated with me about small towns and small businesses being left behind by the corporate power and, and consolidated consolidated corporate power. And when I moved back home to Amherst, I was gone for over 15 years coming back. And like I said, it, it was the same town, but it felt different. And I couldn't figure out what it was, but thinking about the changes in the town and, and what I remember and what I felt was missing led me to sort of the anti-monopoly fight. And I think I'd like to pose this question to Barry first, because like Stacy said, Barry, I think you're generally viewed as sort of the first voice or one of the first voices at moving this forward. So I'm kind of curious. For me, it was seeing the effects on Amherst, my hometown, which led me to this, to this fight and to this movement. And I'm kind of curious, Barry, what was it for you that, you know, was first pointed you in this direction or said, this is a problem? Yeah, I came into, it's a great question. And because uh, everyone who comes here comes through a different portal, a different, uh, you know, there was something that they saw uh, that uh, alerted them to the, the understanding that there were concentrations of power and control and capacity. In my case, it was controls of capacity. And, uh, you know, I was, I ran, a, I used to run a magazine that was called the Global Business Magazine. And um, there was an earthquake in Taiwan in 1999 that resulted in a, a, a few days in the shutdown of all of these factories all across the United States because the earthquake disrupted the shipment of semiconductors from Sinju in Taiwan to California, to Texas, to elsewhere. And so this was, you know, back, you know, this is the hot, exciting days of radical globalization and, and globalization was supposed to equal more of everything, every place. Yet here was proof that all of something really important was in one place. And you know, that we put all our eggs in one basket. So um, that was, uh, I, you know, we all know you don't put all your eggs in one basket. And um, so that was my pathway into this was just saying, well, how, who, whose ideas were responsible for us doing something that was so fantastically unwise, so fantastically dangerous. And, you know, just so we understand, you know, um, uh, you know, just to link that to where we are today, uh, you know, I wrote a book in 2005 that was about the fragilities of our supply chains because of this hyper concentration. And um, it was in the process of writing that that I came to understand what the neoliberals had accomplished, what Robert Bork and Richard Posner had accomplished, which was this overturning not just of a set of policies that were designed to promote opportunity and democracy, but a set of policies that had actually overturned our security in fundamental ways. Um, and you know, here we are today now actually dealing with these problems in a very real way. These supply chain disruptions of the last two and a half years uh, are really terrifying. And um, so, uh, and it, it's a proof that we haven't solved these problems, but that was my pathway in. Yeah, I, I um, come from sort of the construction real, real estate world. And I remember, I think it was 2021, there was all the power outages in Texas. And plants were shut down there. And then all of a sudden, we couldn't get paint up here. And the price of styrofoam skyrocketed because I guess there's one plant in Texas that makes this one polymer that goes into like all the styrofoam and all the paint like across North America. So all of a sudden, I'm paying more because power's out in Texas. So Yes. Anyway, I, I see that too. So, Stacey, how about you? What was your sort of pathway to kind of the anti-monopoly movement? And yeah, I um, I, I started working at ILSR a, a long time ago, like more than twenty years ago, when I was in my twenties. Um, and uh, you know, the organization, as I as I as I mentioned, always had a, a sort of decentralized power, kind of anti-monopoly orientations since the beginning, but but how we came to sort of looking at antitrust policy more particularly um, is that uh, beginning around 2000, I was sort of assigned to study this phenomenon of Walmart and big retailers, which were growing like crazy and killing off a lot of small businesses and just reorganizing the landscape and how we produced and distributed goods in like major ways. 
So I started studying this. And, and as it turned out at that time, if you were a community that had a Walmart maybe coming in and didn't want it or wanted to know what the impact was, there was nobody out there really doing much on that question. And so because we had published a few things, we just, our phone started ringing off the hook and communities reaching out to us to understand this and how could they say no and what were the implications and so on. And so I started traveling around and talking to people and working in all these places. Um, and what I was seeing was that, that, you know, and hearing from local business owners and people who really are in the nitty gritty of how, you know, local economies and, and, and the retail system works, what they were, you know, what was going on is that Walmart was coming into these communities and selling goods below cost, below its own cost. It would sell like its entire pharmacy and health and beauty section below cost to drive the local pharmacist out of business or, you know, sort of house, household goods to drive the local department store out of business um, and succeeding at that strategy. And it could lose money for a year. More. I mean, it could use, lose money endlessly at any one location and make it up somewhere else. And the other thing that Walmart was doing was it was going to suppliers and it was saying, we want a big discount. We want all these special terms, special packaging, and we don't want you to give those to our local competitors, only us. And that's how they were growing and massively taking over the economy. And I, I remember thinking like, don't we have these laws, these, you know, standard oil and antitrust, don't we, you know, because you, you can't just win by being big, right? You know, you're supposed to play on a fair playing field. Like, you, you know, you just win by being better. And so I started looking into it and ran across this law called the Robinson-Patman Act. And I was like, oh, here it is. Here's the law. Here's the thing that, that does what, what I thought it should do. And turns out it hasn't been enforced in uh, decades. Um, and that led me down the path of kind of understanding uh, what had happened and what had gone wrong. And so that's, uh, that's how we got into antitrust. And so with the Robinson-Patman Act, what were the things that weren't being enforced or what were the rules from that? That Because like I remember like in Amherst, there was Zellers and there was Kmart and like there was mm -hmm. these chain stores, but they didn't basically eat all of the retail scene. They existed as part of it. But so I guess what was it that either changed in that act or in the enforcement of the act that let, you know, let Walmart come in and eat everything? Yeah, I mean, it's a law that says that you, you know, passed in 1936 uh, in response in a large part to the to power of A&P, which people often refer to as the kind of Walmart of its day, big, big national grocery chain, uh, as it happens actually at its height, much, much smaller in terms of market share and power than Walmart is today, just to, 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 to make that clear. Um, but it says, you know, you can't, you can't use your power to coerce uh, suppliers into giving you special deals that are not available equally um, to, 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 other, to other retailers. You can't use size and muscle to, to win or to, to control. Um, and, uh, you, know, you know, Barry talked about the sort of revolution in, in, in thinking of the Bork and the, you know, Posner and so on who came along and said, oh, it's all about antitrust should only be about efficiency. It should not be about distributing power, about fairness and those, and those other concepts that had been uh, the act, the way law was actively interpreted and created for decades. You know, in the 1980s, it became, it's only about efficiency. And it's only, we're only gonna measure that in terms of consumer prices. Um, and, and, and that was it, this very narrow view. And the courts and the enforcement agencies kind of in various ways mangled and reoriented all of the other antitrust laws to make them about this narrow aim when they never were about that narrow aim. Um, with the Robinson-Patman Act, the problem that they encountered is that the plain language of the law says, this is really about protecting fairness and having small competitors have a fair shot. So they couldn't somehow say it never meant what it meant, which is what they did with the other laws. They, you know, it was just too much on its face. So the DOJ and the FTC basically put, put it up on a high shelf and said, oh, it doesn't really exist. Um, and they just stopped enforcing it. And Barry, it's, a kind of, it's, a, it's a coup, yeah, a coup. Yeah, jump in Barry, if you want to add anything to. Yeah, I mean, I think this, this is a, it's a fundamentally important part of, you know, for people to understand is that, you know, for most of our history, um, you know, we were happy to have discount, you know, uh, uh, 
people who would like discount the, the, the price of something, but there were very strict pricing rules throughout our, our, our society, throughout our political economy. And this is true also to this day in Germany, to this day in France, uh, to this day in Japan. Uh, and that the, the, there, was a, a, there were pricing rules both for the provision of services. This is like the, you know, if you're, uh, if you're, a, you know, you're, you're buying services as a small business, you're buying services from some large company or, you know, uh, you're, 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 and this could be like, you know, warehousing services or whatever. Um, and there were provisions to say, you have to treat every single company, no, no matter how big they are, the same. You gotta give them the same services at the same price. Uh, but then also the pricing, there's another pricing uh, rules that were designed to uh, sort of ensure that um, the, you know, that big corporations were not able to loss lead, not able to cut their prices uh, unfairly to the consumer as a way of gaining uh, advantage over uh, uh, smaller independent uh, companies. Uh, and this was, uh, so we just had a rule that said, you know, whatever it is that you're selling, a, a particular book, okay, this book, has to be priced the same on Amazon uh, and as it is at the local uh, uh, bookstore. And that way, Amazon has no advantage over the local bookstore. If you're in the local bookstore, you wanna buy this book, you buy it because there's no reason to go on Amazon and buy it. Now, Amazon can still serve you. If you live far away from a bookstore, you can go on Amazon and wait for it to arrive. Uh, but that, that was the foundation of a distributed economy. That was the foundation of a democratized economy was keeping the capitalists out of the position of the middlemen, the control over the middlemen. Retailers are middlemen, transportation companies are middlemen. So we put restrictions on the retailer and the transportation company and all of the trading companies to make sure they weren't the pathway for the capitalists to take over control over our communities, over our businesses. I, I almost think, I've been thinking about that too, that I almost, in Canada, maybe more that our telecom companies are so large, like some of our biggest ones, but to me, they feel like they should be lumped into that middle person role, like that intermediary, like the telecoms are there to help you run your other business. Kind of like to me, like the streets or like the I was thinking about like the water lines or even like, like I think Stacey, you talked about um, broadband networks, like the community broadband networks. And um, I kind of want to know a bit more about that. Like if you talk about that, like some of the, say sort of the community broadband networks or some of the benefits, I guess, communities have seen from those networks that you've helped build or help those communities develop. Yeah, um, they are, um, uh, in many cases, you know, faster service, lower cost, right? So that you don't have this, you know, rent sink, sinking, seeking, uh, you know, monopoly broadband provider that's ripping people off. But I think a couple of other things that are really important is that they're responsive to community needs because they're kind of controlled and run locally. And so the specific needs of the community. And we've, we've certainly seen uh, community-owned networks that have um, uh, uh, pricing provisions uh, and even uh, you know, low-cost service for low-income people. So there's universal access, that there are you know, various ways in which those networks can be used to, to meet uh, public, uh, public ends. Um, and you know, in, a, in a way that the, that the big uh, broadband providers are, are, are not gonna do. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of success there. And, you know, it, 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 I think the part of the challenge has been that, you know, we've been conditioned for a long time as a society to imagine that, you know, we can't just, we can't do these things ourselves on our own terms. You know, we have to kind of wait at the local level for some big outside force to, you know, entity to come in and, and do this or provide, you know, put a factory in or put in a whatever. And, and so sort of overcoming that um, you know, has benefits beyond the broadband network in the sense that you have a community that takes charge of that. And now they sort of realize their power to do um, all, all kinds of things. You're absolutely right about uh, you know, those, those networks being another form of, of middleman that, that has to be controlled. And of course, this is the tech company 
model as well, is we get control of the infrastructure. And from there, we have extraordinary power across everything that has to rely, every industry that has to connect with or use that infrastructure. You know, I'll just, um, I mean, this is such an important part of understanding the monopoly threat today is, uh, you know, this, what you raised, Andrew, and, you know, and what Stacy was just um, focusing on, but it's like, these networks, they're supposed to be providing us services. I mean, that's, you know, that, a, a telecommunications network, a transportation network, uh, traditionally for, you know, in, in our country for 200 years, we ensured that every single network was neutral. We had, the, we had very simple rules. Thou shalt not discriminate. If you're AT&T, if you are the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, thou shalt not discriminate. Thou shalt treat everybody the same. You're going to give them the same service at the same price. Also, thou shalt not vertically integrate. Thou shalt not get into other people's business because, you know, especially businesses that depend on you to get to market. Those were the two primary rules. No discrimination, no vertical integration. Don't compete with your customers. Why do we have a Google problem today? Why do we have an Amazon problem today? Why do we have a Facebook <laughs> problem today? Is because those corporations are the first in history, the first network corporations in history. And Google is a communications corporation. Facebook is a communications corporation. Amazon is a commercial corporation, an intermediary, a retail intermediary. These are the first communications and commercial corporations in history that we have allowed to discriminate in their treatment of people. They manipulate people. Their entire business model is built around that. That's what makes them so dangerous economically. It's what makes them so dangerous politically. Those are the two rules that we have to, that are most important to restore. Yeah, I think talking about Amazon, Facebook, Google, I think it's an interesting sort of transition into the end because they are they are international companies. They're all over the world right now. And I think um, we'll go back. We'll start with you, Stacey, and then Barry will come back to you for the last one. I think the anti-monopoly movement this time has got to be an international one. So I think the question is, you know, what are you looking for? What are you hopeful in the growing international movement? And then what can we as Canadians focus on or help contribute to it? That's great. Um, that's a really great cl closing question. I'm, I'm sort of getting my thoughts together here. I think, um, I mean, first of all, I, I, I wanna underscore what Barry, Barry said at the closing of his, his opening remarks that, that we're gonna win uh, and, and, and we are, and uh, you know, the forces of democracy. I think it's really exciting um, that, you know, for a long time, uh, I felt like uh, folks who were concerned about um, uh, economic inequality, about uh, what's happening in the environment, uh, you know, all of the various issues that are out there. We were often in this conversation about the symptoms and what the anti-monopoly movement has done is, is actually engage uh, people in a conversation about the root causes. So we're now actually talking about the thing uh, itself. And that is a huge, huge advance. Um, and when we're, you know, I think one of the things that's you know, kind of worth thinking about is that, that the opportunity to, 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 to really frame what this is about. Um, because, you know, it used to be, I mean, back in the days when, when communities were sort of fighting Walmart and that was kind of, you know, one of the monopolists that was like, you know, front and center, that, that discussion at that time so often got framed in terms of like a kind of a weird cost benefit analysis of like, well, you know, they hurt workers and small businesses and they lower wages, but you know, cheap prices, you know, how do we weigh those two things? And that's like, a, it's a, it's a dumb argument that, you, you know, you just isn't going to really lead you anywhere productive. And now we're talking about power. But the issue with Walmart is, is not, you know, that the symptoms are lowered wages and sprawl and all the other things, but that the real issue is that no company should be able to organize uh, entire sectors of our economy, particularly our food system single-handedly, right? That it's the power. And we're now having that conversation. And I think 
for a lot, you know, there's there are a number of reasons for that. I think I think Barry's work has been really pivotal in terms of framing that out. I also think the rise of big tech, um, because the nature of their power is is so fundamental into the infrastructure that they effectively kind of govern or regulate our markets that the, the way things operate now are according to their whims and in a way that's very clear to people, that that's also really helped us be in this conversation about power. So I think one of the things that's exciting and is really worth thinking about as you, as you go forward with camp is, is you know, how you frame this issue and then the room that that gives you um, to, to, to move forward uh, with it. Um, I'm excited. I mean, some of the things I'm also excited about, it's been really, you know, one of my long-term projects is, is um, knitting together small business and, and organized labor, you know, which is, was sort of shorn apart by uh, these changes that came along in the 1980s and the rise of neoliberalism, but as a political force, united together is incredibly powerful. And so we're seeing some of the fruits of that uh, at the federal level here. And so, uh, you know, that's sort of another thing uh, uh, to think about as you go forward. That's excellent. Thank you very much, Stacey. Barry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I think, um, I mean, it's a great question. And, you know, one of the things we, we should all know, and you know, just sort of, remind ourselves just uh, you know over the last couple of years Australia played a hugely important role in sort of developing a model maybe it's not the best model but it's developing a model for dealing with the power of Google and Facebook that they exercise over the press you know there's a lot and, and I would like to see that improved in a number of different ways but the, the key thing is it was Australia largely by itself that able, was able to do that you know, so that shows you what a single country can achieve acting on its own. Uh, we've seen Turkey sort of bring important uh, sort of antitrust lawsuits against Google, you know, Turkey. Uh, you know, and these, uh, these lawsuits uh, and these models, it's like we, every country around the world can study these, learn from these, build on these and, and replicate them in different ways. India is doing lots of interesting work on competition policy. Brazil, hopefully, will be back in the game. Hopefully, soon, Brazil will not be run by this pro-monopolist sort of uh, uh, oligarch-promoting uh, 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 presidency. And we're going to have a really important uh, uh, sort of ally, uh, set of allies, community of allies in Brazil. You know, um, but Canada, you know, again, it's like, you know, Canada, you know, is can do right now because Canada has real power. Canada at being at the G7 table gives Canada power that Brazil doesn't have. Use that power today. Use the power that you have from sitting at the G7 table to get the OECD back to a traditional uh, 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 role in, in, in sort of making the world safe for democracy. Get the, you know, use your role in the, w, in the G7 to take on the WTO and probably wipe the WTO off the face of the earth because the WTO is a pro-monopoly organization. You know, um, so um, now I know that there's, you know, the Canadian efforts have not really been well funded in this space. It's like if Canada is not investing in this uh, uh, in the, the, this work, Canada is not at the table. That means Canadians are not at the table. It means that Canadians are being manipulated and they're subject to other people's decisions, manipulated by other people's corporations. You know, it's like Canada is a sovereign nation. It has been a sovereign nation. It's played an enormously important role. And uh, it's time for Canada to get back out there. And it is terrific that you guys are leading the way. I think that's one of our uh, one of our goals, and I think, like like I said, well, Kelvin and Robin mentioned, it's not just the three of us. That there's many other people that have been part of getting the conversation to this point, uh, and we're hoping that there's a lot more people out there who want to get involved and give and help out, and help us move the conversation forward. Uh, we're gonna I'm gonna pass back to Kelvin in a second to wrap up. But Barry and Stacy, thank you both very much for coming. Thank you for spending your time with us. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Um, yeah, like I said many times, there are probably watch this many times and learn and get something new each single time. So once again, yeah, very grateful that you're here. And I'll pass it back to Keldon, um, yeah, for our wrap up. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely not too much more to add. Echo, uh, Andrews, thanks so much. And, and thanks to everybody who's tuning in. Um, you know, in particular, Barry, I think that pep talk is useful. I think Canadians spend a lot of time telling ourselves we can't do anything and, and we need a shot in the arm uh, every once in a while. So, um, you know, as, as I mentioned before, anyone anyone listening, anybody's, anybody who's participated, we had some good Q&A. We'll, we'll reach out to you with, with answers to those questions. Sorry, we weren't able to get to them. But yeah, anyone wanting to learn more about how you get involved and help out with, with camp, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out to, to us uh, on our social, uh, any of our emails and, uh, and, uh, and the newsletter on the website. So I want to thank everybody for giving us a lunch hour and, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone.